Lord, we come before you today and we ask you to be with us as we look at your word and guide and lead us as we continue this study in this book of Revelation as we are coming to the end of it. And we just thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Revelation 22, verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. We're going to read one verse right now. We're going to see if we get through it. We look at this and it says, Jesus has sent his angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. And we go back... You can go back all the way to Revelation 1, where, 1, 1, where John sees the angel and the angels. All through this book, the angels are the ones that are giving the testimony. Uh, so we're just going to look, you know, look at that, you know, and just that statement on it. And the idea of testify, when we see the word testify, it means to be a witness for. And when we're asked to give our testimony, to tell people about Jesus, that's what we're supposed to be doing, giving our testimony. What do we know about God? What, what is he doing in our life? And this is what we should be sharing with people. Who was I before I got saved? You know, what, how did I get saved? And then what has God done for me since I've been saved? And don't spend all your time on the first part of it. Who was I before I got saved? I, I've heard a lot of people, they'll give you, you know, five, six minutes, ten minutes on who they were before they got saved. And they'll give you about 30 seconds on who, how they got saved and about 15 seconds on what's happened since they've been saved. And it's like, okay, there's a little bit of out of balance here. Yes, we want people to know a little bit about what brought us there, but there should be a testimony of what God is doing for us. And this is important for us because people want to know that God has an answer for our life. And it's important for that area because he's, we're in a relationship with him. Then he says, I am the root and offspring of David... And this goes all the way back to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. Isaiah 11:10, and that says, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people, and it sh to it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. The idea that the Gentiles would come to God has always been out there in the Old Testament. Now, the Jews did not want to accept it. <laughs> did not really accept Gentiles into, the, into their following, but God has always told them the Gentiles are coming, which for, I think everybody in this room is a good, good thing. I don't think we have any Jews sitting in this room, so it's a good thing that the Gentiles were being drawn to God. And Jesus said, I am the root and offspring of David. Now, he didn't use Jesse, but he used David because Jesse was David's father. Okay? So we want to keep that in, in, in remembrance. So that verse is this one, and it says the offspring of David. Why is it important for him to be the offspring of David? It means that he is king. David was promised that he would have a king from his line that would sit on the, on the throne forever. And Jesus is the last descendant of David that can prove his, his relationship to David through the genealogies. And so he is saying, I am worthy to be the king just as I had promised. And one of the reasons Satan is working so hard to stop the Jews from being in existence is if he can stop them, then he stops the prophecies. Okay? Because what is God's prophecy? David, the number first prophecy was that the Messiah would come through 
through David's line. So he tried everything he could to wipe out the Israelites on many occasions, through the through the Egyptians, through the all the captivities, and all through. Then when Jesus was born, he tried to kill all the, you know tried to kill him by getting the babies killed. Then the second part of it is that God says they will be blessed and they will be part of this book that we just read, Revelation. And so Satan is working hard to try to destroy the Israelites so that the fulfillment of God's prophecies cannot happen. Then it says, and a bright and morning star. Now we looked at bright and morning star way back in chapter 2. But in case you don't remember what it is, this, the bright and morning star is the bringer of light. So Jesus is the bringer of light into our lives, into everything that went, went on. Then we look at verse 17. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that hears say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Okay, so we've got the very first verse. The Spirit and the bride say, come. What is our job as Christians? To, say, to invite people to come. And Christians are the bride of Christ. And we're going to walk through some of these verses to look at, at that section. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 49. So I get to 49. Verse 5. And now says the Lord that formed me in the womb to be his servant and to bring Jacob again to him through Israel. Though Israel be not gathered together, yet shall I be glorified in the eyes. And that's not the right verse. How about 62? I can't read my own writing. Isaiah 62. 62.5. For as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall the, your God rejoice over you. And this is God talking to Israel specifically, but the church is going to be part of that. God looks at those that follow him as being married to him. This is what marriage, the picture of marriage is all about, is the relationship of God to his people. Because God tells, tells us that when they would go after idols, that they were committing adultery. Okay, as far as he's concerned, if we go after idols, or when Israel went after idols, they were committing adultery because he considered himself their husband. And so this is a pretty critical place for us to look. 2 Corinthians. Should have marked them. Chapter 11, verse 2. For I am, a, I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you a chaste virgin to Christ. This whole idea of being righteous and chaste before us as we get presented to Christ, because he, the church, is the bride. Then we look at uh, 1 Corinthians 6. Verse 15, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? God forbid. So this is the idea again of that fornication that 
that uh, is committed when it's when we're not following God. And then Ephesians 5. Verse 30, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be made one flesh. And this is talking about uh, Jesus as a picture. This is the great mystery that I speak concerning Christ and the church, that they will become one, just as a marriage bond is to become one. And this goes all the way back to the very beginning of of. Genesis, where he says the two shall be made one, that a man will leave his mother and father, and, and the two will become one, be joined together. And that's how close we are supposed to be with Jesus. So close that we are one, and hopefully you're finding that happening as, as you go through. But we are the bride of Christ. And here in verse 17, and the spirit and the bride say, come. Who are we saying come to? The world Come join Christ. This is where our, our goal is. This goes all the way back to the, the Great Commission, that we are to go unto the world making disciples. Okay? It's an important. And you want to note on this, when you read the Great Commission, which is in Acts 1, which we'll read it here, the whole thing. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put into his own power, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to all and to the other parts, most parts of the world. And then in Matthew 28. In verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. Our job is to evangelize people, get them to come to Christ, but more importantly, teach them how to walk in Christ. And this is a very important step that gets left out most a lot of times. People will get somebody to commit their life to God, supposedly, and then not teach them how to walk. And this is the important part, learning how to walk with God. Because we, it's not just saying a prayer and saying, God, I, I trust you, I believe in you, but it is living. He's going to bring that life to us. It's got to be a life change. And that whole idea of learning to walk with him. And we said it over and over. I mean, just saying, I believe in God. I've heard so many people go, I, I believe in God. Well, that's wonderful. So does the devil and all the rest of the demons. Okay, they all believe in Jesus. They have no doubt that he exists. They have no doubt that he's the son of God. The key to it is to say that it is a personal decision. That I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Not just that he lived, not even that he, that he died. You might even believe that he died for the punishment of sin. But if you don't take and grab hold of that and say it is my gift, it is not real. 
It's not a saving knowledge just to say, yes, Jesus lived, yes, he died on the cross, yes, he died for sins, unless you're going to say, I accept that gift. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Romans 6.23, in case you don't know what the address of that one is. But it's a gift, and it has to be appropriated into our life. And when we take that gift, that gift is so much more than just the forgiveness. It is actually taking Jesus into our life and him becoming one with us and changing the way we think and act. And this is that place where somebody says that they've asked Jesus to come in their heart, accepts that forgiveness, and they get the freedom and the joy that comes along with that because Jesus himself dwells in us. And we have that peace, the peace that passes understanding, the, the joy that comes from having him in our heart and able to go forward with him. And very important is that walk with him. It's what separates Christianity from religion is that walk with him where he comes in, he dwells with us. And hopefully you've been there where you see this. He, his, he guides, he leads in your decisions. You sometimes don't do something you really wanted to do and then find out that it's a good thing that you didn't do it or that you do something you didn't want to do and you find out it was a good thing because God put it on your heart because he is one with us. He's got that joining together. And marriage was supposed to be the picture of that joining together that binds people together and holds them together. And it says that, you know, the spirit and the bride say, come. And then it says, let him hear say, come. Are our ears being open to what he says? Do we listen to God? This is the hardest thing that most of us ever have to do is start listening to God in a way that says, I'm hearing and I'm obeying. And this is, I love, and this is what I've said before. I love Dr. McGee before, you know, on his radio show. He goes, wherever McGee and the Bible disagree, the Bible's correct. Well, it's my attitude too. If I disagree with what I'm reading, the problem is not the Bible. The problem is me and I need to match to what the Bible says. And this is why it's important for us to get into the word, hear the word, listen, but to be obedient to the word. It's so easy to just say, well, I'm going to just ignore it. it I'm not, you know, I, it does, it's not relevant to me. Now, anything you're reading in the Word is relevant to you when you're reading it because God is using it to teach. And we need to be aware that it's relevant and be willing to change my life to match what God says. And this is important for us to be able to do. Is it easy to do? No, <laughs> it's not. And we want to be careful when we're reading the Word that we listen to what God says, even when He don't, doesn't seem to make sense to us. And we go, okay, God, I don't understand it, uh, but help me, under, help me change. And especially if it says something different than what you've always believed. Okay? And this is critical when you've been, in, been taught certain ways to understand verses and you, and you read a verse that doesn't match up with what you, what you believe. And you have to kind of say, okay, what am I not understanding here? Did I misread the verse or did I get taught wrong? And this is why it's critical to look at what we've been taught over the years and say, okay, they may not have done it on purpose, but sometimes you get taught incorrectly. And this is something I've had real things with when I've been in charge of Sunday schools. If you're teaching kids especially, you've got to be very careful how you teach kids. 
because you're laying a foundation for what they're going to believe the rest of their life. And oftentimes when, you, when you're being taught from the Bible and all of a sudden something strikes you as not right, it's because you were taught something different as a youngster. Here we have, we need to listen. We need to listen to God's voice. And you know, the thing we want to remember is God speaks with a still, small voice. When we're so busy with the clutter and noise of our environment and not putting ourselves listening to God, we're going to miss his voice. But it's very important for us to be able to calm down in the middle of, of something. This is why when I was working as a restaurant manager, oftentimes I would take, you know, just go someplace, sing a quick psalm or and calm my mind down so I could calm down and listen to God. I'd sing a Christian song on the way to taking the trash out, you know, just whatever it was, a little quick chorus, focus my mind on God so that I could hear. Because how often have we been there where our mind is so busy and our mind, is, our thinking is so cluttered that we just can't seem to focus on God because everything seems to be going against us. And this is where, where Sunday we talked about sp singing spiritual songs and melodies and hymns to ourselves. And God says, spend time thinking about him during those. I mean, I would recommend the Bible first. And when I was in the restaurants, I didn't have time to sit down for, for that long to read the Bible sometimes. It was just a quick song and prayer, get my mind refocused and calmed down. But it's so important that we listen, that we listen to God and then what is it? It says, and let him that is a thirst come. Oh, how thirsty. Most of us can, might be able to remember we were thirsty for God before we became a Christian many times. I remember before I got saved, I had such a thirst for God that I was always trying to find some way to church. And for somebody that was a child, that wasn't always easy. You know, sometimes it was just walk to the nearest church or get on a church bus when, you know, is where I finally got saved is by going on a church bus. But this whole idea of thirst, God is the living water. He is the one that quenches the thirst. Remember when he was talking to the woman at the well? Yeah. And, she, and he goes, you know, that he had living water. If you knew who I was, you would. You'd be asking me yeah. for the water. Oh. And so he said he was living water. And living water is more, had a lot more impact on it than we even realized. So we're going to look at some of this. Being thirsty. Isaiah 49.10. We're going to do a lot of walking around the Bible today. 49.10 says, They shall not hunger nor thirst, neither shall the heat nor sun smite them. For he has mercy on them, shall lead them, even by the springs of water he shall guide them. And this is talking about bringing people into their peace. And he says, I'm going to take, I'm going to take care of them. In Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 3. Ho, everyone that thirsts, come ye to the waters. He that has no money, come you buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfies not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear and come unto me here, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant and use with you even the sure mercies of David. So Jesus is inviting them in this. Come. Come for your thirst. Come for your food. And this is why Jesus, when he was talking to the woman at the well, said, you know, 
I have, I have the living water. When his disciples came, if, if you remember that part of the story, they said, well, you know, are you hungry? No, I've, I'm yeah, not. He, you know, I, I, my bread is, is the, to do the will of my father. He had already told them, you know, and they didn't understand this. How often do you feel so satisfied when you're doing the work of God and doing what he wants you to do? It's a wonderful experience that sometimes you don't even feel. You think about Moses. He went up on the mountain and was with, with God, in the presence of God for 40 days, and it doesn't seem like he came down totally weakened like you would have thought after 40 days of not eating. Okay, he came down because he was so full with God. Was it true, like whenever they were on their excursions, like for forty whatever? I mean, their clothes never wore out. The forty years of wandering, their clothes didn't wear not wear, and their feet did not swell. And that's uh, that is actually a very amazing statement that the, uh, that is yeah. made, because number one, not wearing out. Yeah. Forty years of your clothes not wearing out, but and even. And your shoe's not wearing out when all you're doing is walking. And it said their feet didn't swell. Manna was seemed to be the most perfect food that was ever in existence. And they kept complaining about it. They kept complaining about having that manna. Jeremiah 17, verse 13. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake you shall be ashamed. And they that depart from me shall be ridden on the earth because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. God is the fountain of living water. He's the one that really satisfies everything about us because when people are looking when when people are looking for God, which isn't the first thing most people do, but when they do, they usually try to fill that emptiness with all kinds of things that aren't right. We've we've seen people try to fill it with drugs and alcohol and and uh, sexual activity or work or just food. about anything food a lot of times uh, uh, relationships uh, you know, there's all kinds of things people will try to fill the emptiness that God has has placed in us uh, Pascal said that there's an in, there's an empty place in every man's life that only God can fill all right and this is a very true statement you search and you search and you search and nothing fills that emptiness and it drives people to do, to go to the extremes of just about anything. There's that desire for God, that desire that they don't know is for God until God fills it. But once God fills that spot, there's great pleasure in it. There's great joy in it because it's an empty spot that only he can fill and he becomes one with us and we become one with him. Now, this is something that's really hard to understand. We are in a relationship with God that he says I, marriage is the example of. That means that he's wanting us to become one with him. Not that we become God, but we become one with him, and he fills all that emptiness. Wanting us to get into his word, and that hunger for the word is good. And the more we read, the more we study God's word, and the I'm more we build a hunger God. on it. If I got time, I'll go. I'll give God some of my time. You know, and you know what? If you don't make time for God, I mean, you're not going to find time. He gives us, us enough time. We need to give Him time. That's how I look at it. And this is the same thing. You know, people go, "Well, I can't afford to give God time. I can't afford to give Him money." You know, can't afford not to. Right? Not you can't afford not to. Yeah. But even more importantly. 
the more that we give God of our time, we tend to get more done because we focus on him and we don't waste a lot of time, but we build a hunger. Hopefully you're finding as you spend more time trying to follow after God, you get that hunger where you just feel you have to. How, how hard is it when you first try to develop the habit of getting into God's word every day? It's tough. But after a while, it becomes a habit. And, all, and, like, and like you said, you, you get to the point like, oh, I haven't done it yet today. And you, 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 you get back into it. You get to this place, why didn't I do this earlier in my life? Or, you know, and all of us have, no matter when we started, we still can go, why didn't I do this? Because is he part of our life? Is he part of who we are? And this is important. He wants to be part of everything. And it's wonderful when you get to that place, you know, you're missing in, but that should then motivate you to really talk to people about how much God <laughs> is part of your life and how much he cares about you. Because I was listening to somebody the other day on the radio and he goes, the way that he witnesses to people is very gentle. He starts out with God loves you and he walks away. He doesn't stop. He just keeps pouring it in. To, sometimes you would ask it. Sometimes I've been to a place where we're going, okay, I can't take anymore at this moment, God. You know, hold off a little bit because I'm not ready for it. But, you know, God is ready to pour more onto us. This is what God wants to do. He wants to pour out a blessing that is so great on us that, number one, it'll blow our minds because, we're, because he's doing it and we don't deserve it. But, number two, like I said, there's been a couple of times where I go, okay, God, that's a, this is as much blessing as I can take at this moment. And you want to just say, I need to slow down just a little bit. Because God is pouring it, can pour it on us. And usually that is when we're seeking after him. We're in his word. We're in prayer. We're trying to say, God, I want to do everything you want me to do. And then we start sharing him with others. And when we get really blessed, we get excited. And the more we get excited the more we should be talking about him to other people. You know, what happens when you go to something and you have a really good time at whatever, you, whatever it is you were doing, whether it was out to dinner or uh, a good movie or, or whatever it might be, what are, you, what are you looking forward to doing? Telling your friends about it, right? You know, Hey, you know what I did last night? I did. That was the analogy I was getting ready to make. I still get excited about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I still. Because God is blessing and he I wants to bless. I feel very fortunate and blessed that God I know. gave wow. me good family to grow up in and was developed a lot of the stuff that people take for granted. Is, and I do tend to take it for granted because I was so blessed and went to church and grew. But by the same token, I also see what God has done and what he is doing. And I still have a long ways to go, but my goal is just to see people grow. And I take pleasure in watching other people grow. I love when I see it and, and I'm... And so many people here are saying that they've gotten so close to God, you know, and it's just whatever small part that is of Maybe me being I'm able to teach. Wrong. And I take pleasure in watching everybody grow. I'd love to see us have more people, but we're also, but at the same token, we're reaching people all around the world. And, that, That's what's cool. and that is something that kind of blows my mind as well, is what's going to, when we get to heaven, what uh, blessings this church is going to have because we're reaching the world. We don't hear about them. Nobody's emailing us to tell us what's going on in their life, but you know, it's, Something has got to be happening out there because people are listening, and that means something ha that God's touching lives. And heaven will see what God has done that this church is allowed to have happen because of the, the funding of, of it. Right, Zechariah chapter 14, verse 8. And it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea. In summer and in winter shall it be. 
And this is talking about the millennial kingdom when Jesus touches his foot touches down on the Mount of Olivet and there's a great earthquake that opens up a new major river that goes to the, to the Mediterranean and to the Dead Sea. So, but it's living water from Jerusalem. It's even more literal. Jesus is ruling from Jerusalem and he is the living water. The whole idea of living water before we're saved, before we have Jesus filling our life, we are, we are spiritually dead. How many times, if you can remember back then, did you get into the Bible before you were saved and it was just like reading a bunch of words and didn't mean anything? That's how it was when I was going to church years ago. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's just it. A lot of people look at it, it's just words. Some new Christians even do, you know, because they haven't learned to listen to the Holy Spirit that well, and it's just words. And for those of us who, who really get into it and listen to the Holy Spirit, it's life. I love to get into God's Word because when I get into it, there's always something new in there been studying it for 44 years and it's still every time I open it every time I study it it's new it's exciting and hopefully you all are getting there where it's all new and exciting no matter how many times you read it there was a one pastor who said one time that he could preach the same verse for the entire year and find something new in it and I believe him I don't know that I could preach a di different message every week for a year on the same verse but I know what he means, though. Did you get in there and you study, and God will show you new things from the same passage. I don't ever want to try it. But, you know. Maybe he means that he read on and went back. Yes, well, what he was saying, literally what he was saying is that it's always new. Mm -hmm. God's word is always new. It's always fresh. And this is important when we read this. Uh, and been encouraging people to read the Bible through each year. And I'm sure you've experienced it where you've come across and gone, I never saw that before. You know, you know, I try to read it through every year, and so many times I get in and I try to read it, and I'm going, you know, and I, I, I tease about it. I, you know, I sometimes when I'm reading verse, I'll, I'll look at it, you know, and, I, and God shows me something totally brand new. I'm going, God, when did you put that verse in the Bible? It wasn't there the last, you know. And I know that that's, I know that it's always been there, but I know that I had never seen it before. And this is important for us because the more we read His Word, the more we get into this the more we're going to see things that we didn't ever see before. On Fridays, we're teaching the, the book of Micah. There's many Christians who have never read the book of Micah, but there's so much in Micah that is, that is about the end times, about, the, about what's going on. And it's a wonderful book. And so, but I will say that about every one of the books, no matter which one we read, there's something wonderful about every book. And we're, gonna, we're working our way through the, through the books, uh, I've been here four years. We've made it through 20% of the Bible. We've got a lot more to go. <laughs> uh, my plan is to go through the whole Bible and start all over again. I don't know how long God's going to let me stay here and do that, but that's my plan. <laughs> We're going to go through the whole thing. Well, it's good to do that because if you have newcomers... Oh, yeah. We're going to keep doing it. Uh, John chapter 7. We're going to start on verse 37. In the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man... First, let him come to me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Jesus was saying that because we drink of him so fully and he fills us completely, 
out of us will flow living water. And that's when we bring life to people. We bring life because we give, we show them, number one, that God loves, that God cares. We bring the whole idea that God is there. And do you realize how precious it is for us to be able to share that? That we can share the gospel with people and bring them to God. It's actually him that does it, obviously. But you know, we get to be the tool just by sharing God loves them. And we've been talking a lot about this. In other religions, there's not this concept that their God loves them. It's you've got to please him before he'll even pay attention to you. And for us, it's God loves you. How much does he love us? He sent his son to die for us. That is a lot of love. He said, knew that we could not pay the debt. There's an old song that we used to sing in, my, in a church that I went to. Uh, I owed a debt I could not pay. Uh, he paid a debt he, he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. He, he, I needed someone to take my sins away. You know. We used to sing that in church, huh? Not here. Not here. Not here. But here's that whole idea. I owed a debt to God that I couldn't pay. What was that debt? Being perfect. <laughs> you know, I blew that before I even had a chance to even think and understand I blew that. You know. <laughs> Uh, and all of us did. You know, when we were babies, we blow that very first thing. We owe a debt to God that we can't even pay before we're even cognizant of it. Jesus came and paid a debt he didn't know. When he went to the cross, it was to pay something that he did not owe. And the only reason he was paying it was because he agreed with the Father that he would. And he took all of that pain, all the, all the, all the punishment we deserved, the stripes on his body, the, the, the cutting away of his flesh, the, the beating that he took, the physical beating, the, the pulling out of his beard. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever had a handful of hair or beard pulled out that it hurts, especially a beard. You know, I would rather have hair pulled out of my head than off, off the beard, you know, that the very tender area on the face. And he had the, all of that done to him as part of the pain, and then he went to the cross. And then on the cross, he experienced the one pain that was the harshest for him, and that was when the Father broke fellowship with him. First time, in, first and only time in all of eternity where the Father and him were separated. And that was the ultimate pain that he paid for us. And he did it willingly. And you know, one of, the, one of the songs I love to sing is He Could Have Called 10,000 Angels on Sunday morning. And that song means so much to me because... No, we sing that one. Yeah, we sing that one a lot. <laughs> well, I don't know about a lot, but we sing that one. Because do you realize at any point in time, Jesus could have said, Father, these people are not worth it. I just want to come back home. And there would have been nothing wrong with that. He could have easily just said, you know, they're not worth it. I want to come back home and... And he and the Father would have abandoned humanity to our, to, our, to our end. But he loved us so much that he stayed the course to go to the cross. <coughs> this is an amazing principle. How great a love does God have for us? When we share to people that God loves them, I don't know if you've ever told somebody that God loves them, but usually the very first thing that comes out of their mouth is, no, not me, I don't deserve it. 
Of course you don't deserve it. None of us deserve God's love. What do we deserve? We deserve being cast into hell and being, being hated and thrown, you know, cast away. That's what we deserve. But God's grace brings us his love. Sent us Jesus so that God could penalty and justice and righteousness and holiness could be satisfied. And his love reaches out to us. And he grabs hold of us and says, I want you. I want you. That is an amazing thought when we think about it. That God loves us so much that he reached out. But he loves everybody. And all, the, all he's really said is, I've got my hand out. Do you, will you take it? And then when you take his hand and say, yes, I want this gift, you go into a relationship. You, you become one with the God of the universe. And he starts really blessing us. <laughs> if salvation wasn't a big enough blessing, going to heaven wasn't a big enough blessing, you think about the rest of the blessing he gives us. You know, not a perfect life, not, not no problems in our life, but you know, to walk with God through these problems is a stupendous blessing. When he's got your hand and, he, and he's holding on to you as you go through the trials, knowing that nothing can happen to you unless he allows it is a wonderful feeling. But, but you think about this, all the blessings. And he's going to give us heaven, all the riches of heaven, and eternal life, and this wonderful living water that he gives us that brings us brings us into a relationship with it. All of these things that he does are so wonderful and so full, and sometimes we take it for granted. Sometimes we get so used to the blessings that we start taking them for granted, and we need to be so careful that we do not take for granted those blessings because they are not the normal. They are not normal. And God can oftentimes say, don't forget them. And when we start to forget them, sometimes you'll just let a little bit of reality slip in there and say, well, let me remind you what it's like to not be <laughs> walking my direction and say, come back, get, <laughs> get back. And usually it's us that walk away from him. He doesn't really have to do anything. It's like we, get, we start, start taking it for granted and we go off in a direction that he's not following. He goes, okay, let me let you have a few steps on your own as we get knocked down, battered, and bruised. So this Sunday night, how often do we go out thinking that somehow we can be victorious without God? And God says, okay, well, you want to learn a lesson. Go ahead and go out there and learn, and learn it. And we get, we get battered and bruised and knocked over and kicked, become crawling back to God. You know, okay, let me back in, God. And God's saying, okay, let's, uh, did you learn your lesson this time? Yeah. Yeah. Have you learned your lesson? But we oftentimes will start thinking that the blessings of God is the normal part of the life. And you know, in one sense, it is normal for us as Christians as long as we keep in mind that it is because of him that it's normal, not just because it's normal. And God is saying, I just want to give you great blessing. But how many times do Christians use the blessings on, their own, on themselves rather than for God? And I can't tell you how many times I've seen it over the years where somebody gets blessed by God and they keep getting material blessings, and the next thing you know, you don't see them serving God anymore. 
because they're busy using up all their material blessings and then God takes it away from them because they misused it. Our home is not this world. Are we willing to live in that blessing and follow him or are we going to take it for granted? And God is saying, I just want you to be my children. I want you to be blessed. We think about this. Sometimes you'll watch a movie or a show where somebody gets adopted or married into the family and they're just amazed when they first walk into the mansion, you know, and, you, and you just they're totally just looking around in, in awe of everything they get. And then they start getting jaded toward it because it becomes common. We want to be careful that we don't get jaded toward what, it, what God's given us. This earth is not our home, and we should always be hungry for our real home. Not so bad that we're trying to do anything to get there faster, but the idea is this is not our home. And it, Abraham was used as that example. He was walking in the promised land, which God had promised to him, but he, he owned, if you remember, he owned one little field with a cave in it. His wife Sarah was buried. All of the land was promised to him, and God allowed him to have one piece of land, and that was barely in the promised land <laughs> that when, when he bought it. And that's all he had. And that's all that Isaac had was that one little piece of land. And that's all that Jacob had, that one little piece of land. And it was promised that they would have the entire area. And from the Mediterranean Sea all the way over to the Jordan, from the Nile all the way to the Euphrates, a large piece of land that they're supposed to have. And even today, they don't have all of their land that they're supposed to have. The only time Israel has had all of their land was during Solomon's reign and the end of David's reign. But beyond that, they've never had all of their land. They've always had just a very small sliver of it that people have decided they could have. And God's going to say, you're going to get all of it for a while. But what do we look at? Are we hungry for his word? Are we wanting that life? Are we wanting the living water? And how easy is it to get distracted from the living water? You know, and the thing we've always got to be careful for is that we don't slowly slip away from it. Some of the things shared just today, you know, where we, we have that hunger for the Word of God, we have that desire for Him. Always keep it and be aware that it needs to be there because it's very easy to slip back from it. And it's, you know, all you've got to do is get busy with the regular old living in this world and not make God a priority. The day that happens, you start slipping backwards. And it's been said that if you're not going forward with God, you're going backwards, and it's very true. You don't stand still with God. You either go forward with Him, or you go away from Him. And that in and of itself, if He's moving forward and you're not moving, you're actually moving backwards from where you're supposed to be. And it is so easy to fall away from him. It is so easy to get out of the habit of reading God's word. So, so easy to stop praying. So easy to stop coming to church because our flesh does not desire it in and of itself. It's our spirit that desires it. And if we let our flesh rule, we will slip away very quickly. And we need to keep focused on him. We need to keep desiring that word the living water. We need to keep desiring the word and how easy it is to, to stop reading, to stop focusing on him. And this is one of the reasons I encourage it. And I keep bringing it up. Keep reading the word. Keep, keep, reading, the, keep reading the Bible schedule. Keep getting into to messages. Keep getting into prayer. 
because it is so critical and it's so easy to fall away. And I've shared with you myself, you know, I got so much into work that I walked away for two years. And if anybody had told me when I was in my teenage years that I would ever walk away from God in the church, I would have laughed at them and said, there's absolutely no way that will happen. And yet, I found out how easy it was to just drift. That first service was the hardest one to miss. You know, after that, it started to become easier and easier until next thing I know, I haven't been around. I haven't been reading God's word. I haven't been doing these things. So since that time, I have kept in the back of my mind, it's not going to happen. I'm going to keep seeking God and keep following him because it, I found out how easy it is to drift away. And that's why I encourage everybody, stay in his word, stay in the reading, stay going forward with God in all areas. Don't go down memory lane to the past. Don't go into the past. Yeah. Go forward. The only reason you might want to go, the only reason you want to have go into memory lane is to remember what God has done for you. Don't remember the bad. Matter of fact, forget the bad. Uh, because this is the important thing that we want to. It is so easy to dwell in the past and, and and if you're dwelling in the past, you're also going to be unforgiving. You're going to have problems with people, maybe even problems with yourself. And you need to eliminate those things that are bad. Remember the good. Remember what God has done to you. Matter of fact, he tells you, put up the markers for the things that he's done good. And remember those. I mean, he told the Jews to do that all the time. They cross over Jordan. He says, put up a big stack of stones there as a memorial. And when your kids ask you what the stones are, you know, you, you tell them, this is, where, this is what God did in this place. And he did that all through their times of victory. I guess that's why I'm stacking so many stones all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> trying to remember the good yeah, things. So, but this is, this is where we're at with these things is, how do we remember God? What are we remembering that God has done for us? And this is why we go through the scriptures and we look and say, this is what God did for these people. We look at people who didn't deserve to be blessed because of what they did, and God blessed them anyway. Do you realize how often that we should have that attitude? That's kind of hard. That's kind of hard. To look at someone that you know doesn't deserve it, and they get it. Well, the question is, do you deserve what God does for you? Better than what they would have got. Well, maybe not from God's perspective. That's what I mean. You can't, but I'm just saying, you know, if somebody... I don't understand. This I is why... That way, but I used to think that I, way. This is why we need to take joy in what happens. When something good happens to somebody, even if we don't think they deserve it, we are to be joyful for them. Because we don't want what, God, what we deserve. And we don't know really why they got it. We don't know why they got it. And yeah. we don't know... We don't know where we would be if we didn't accept some of the gifts that God has given us. And this is, this is a statement, there, there, but by the grace of God go I. If certain things, that, you know, when we were at crossroads where God gave us grace and we accepted it, what would have our life been like if we, didn't. if we hadn't made the right grace choice? So we might have been worse than the person that we think got something they didn't deserve. So we want to be very careful with that because... I've heard people say, I just want what I deserve. And I'm going, you don't want what you deserve. I don't care. I don't want to go to hell. You, know, you, you don't want to be going to hell. You do not want what you deserve because that is what you deserve. And this is why we have to be very careful when we look at others and just say, thank you, God, that you're blessing them. Some people, if they're not saved and they're getting blessings, the sad thing is that's all the blessing they're ever going to have throughout all eternity. 
he can he can give blessing. He can let good things happen. The rain falls on the good, the good and the evil. People, people that are evil get get blessings. That was what David complained about in one of the Psalms. You know, God, why? You know, when are you going to bring judgment on them? The most important thing that we always want to remember when we look at that situation is their judgment hasn't come yet. God is maybe allowing some good things to happen in their life, but the the really sad thing for those. If you're not saved, this world is as close to heaven as you're ever going to see. That's sad. And when we think about how bad this world is, this is as close to heaven as those people are going to ever experience. And that's a miserable heaven. This is a miserable heaven. If we truly understand what we truly deserve, then we're not going to have problems with other people that get God's grace as well, whether they go into heaven or not. I am where I'm at purely by God's grace. But we want to keep in mind at all times, everything, everything is a gift of grace. And that is for the people, even that are not saved, it's a gift of grace to them that they're not being destroyed. God is keeping them in, to a place so where they can try to come to it. Now, they won't get grace when they stand before God at the right throne judgment, but they're getting what little grace they're going to get is right here, and it's the idea of let me help you grow. God's whole purpose is to draw people to him so that they can go become with him. And those little things that they don't deserve or where God can say, I blessed you, will you accept me? All these little things that are out there that he's saying, come. We talked about everything that happens in the book of Revelation, all these trials, all these tribulations. The purpose of them is, yes, to throw judgment on the world, but also to draw people to God, saying, it's going to get worse. Come to me. And he's trying to draw them. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your opportunity to come before you and to love you. We ask you to guide and lead us as we go forward. Help us to share you with others. Help us to be learn to be joyful in the blessings that you've given us and others. And Lord, just to learn to live in the grace that you give. In Jesus' name, amen.